Hello and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and nuance behind the headlines. I'm Natasha Mascarenas, and this is our Wednesday show where we niche down to a single person, think about their work and unpack the rest. Today, we're talking to Narina Singh, the founder and CEO of Credo AI, which is a governance platform helping organizations monitor, measure and manage AI introduced risks. AI. Have you ever heard of it? I don't know if we've talked about it at all on the pod over the past few months. No, jokes aside, Navrina is someone I've been super excited to talk about because she's not a tourist in this space. She has done everything from advise President Biden on responsible AI to work on writing the EU AI Act. Navrina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Natasha, and very excited for the conversation today. Uh, me too. Well, first things first, are you just taking a victory lap now that everyone cares about AI all over again? Like, what is this moment feel like to you as someone who's just been in the space for, I mean, how many years now? Yeah, it's been over 20 years in making. Wow. So I love the enthusiasm around artificial intelligence. And I really like the excitement around putting AI to good use and in production scenarios. So it feels like a little bit of like crossing the finish line, but this <laughs> new finish line is actually the start line to the next, I would say, age of AI. Oh, that's so well said. I think when I first started reporting about tech, it was around four or five years ago. And I remember vividly going to Kleiner Perkins and talking to two of their investors there. And I was kind of just like, how focused are you on AI right now? And they said something along the lines of AI is no longer a competitive advantage. It's a baseline that every company needs to build. And as you, as a founder in the space, who's building something that's, I guess, thinking of a more nuanced way around AI, I would love to just start on that note, which is like where you've seen AI fit into our lives and really how it's fit into your career over the past 20 years too. Absolutely, Natasha. You know, it's interesting because I believe that artificial intelligence truly has become the fabric of our society. So everything from something as simple as Alexa and Siri, you know, which my eight-year-old uses much more proficiently than I do, <laughs> I have seen that in the recent weeks, the use of generative AI, everything from chat GPT to use of stability diffusion, which by the way, again, my eight-year-old uses, I'm just excited to see the democratization of something which has been very complex for companies to not only bring to bear, but for end consumers to use. Mm -hmm. You know, in terms of where we are seeing artificial intelligence being used, I think there's a spectrum. If you think about very high impact uh, use cases, we are seeing the use of some of the traditional models in fraud, in risk scoring, in facial recognition, mm -hmm. in HR systems, and plethora of those applications which are enterprise level. And now what we are seeing is emergence of a new category of AI, which is very consumer focused. And the idea there of this whole co-pilot, someone who's with you every step of the way that can help you get from zero to one quickly is something that I'm very excited about in this AI augmentation category. And then I would say that, uh, you know, more and more we are recognizing that the AI applications are becoming so pervasive that enterprises that, one, are not using artificial intelligence better start using it now. Yeah. And two, the organizations that are using artificial intelligence, they need to up their baseline, as you said, because the baseline that we were holding ourselves accountable for and trying to reach, that it's way past. We've already like gone like four innings beyond that. So the question now is this new baseline and which 
enterprises ready to meet this new baseline. Yes. Let's put a pin there and rewind a little bit because your background clearly helps answer some of those questions. Start with explaining to me how you found yourself really even as focused on this world of responsible AI. I feel like your career, whether it was at Microsoft or helping with writing the EU AI Act, has kind of revolved around that central thesis you're explaining about. But how did you find that as an area to focus on? Absolutely. So Natasha, I grew up in a very humble house in India. And, you know, it's interesting because my dad was in the Indian army for about 40 years and my mom was a teacher turned fashion designer at the age of 45. So what was interesting was they had literally no overlap or interest in sciences growing up. But what they did have as a common passion was serving communities, finding a problem and really lending themselves 100% to figuring out how to solve that problem. And for me, that's where I found engineering and sciences as a mechanism where I could solve the community problems that we were seeing growing up in India. So I would say my foray into engineering was literally from first principle. There's a problem. I can solve that problem. Science and technology is a tool that I can use and really use my creativity to get, you know, from zero to one. However, I would say that I started my career out in a very interesting field in mobile. Mm. So I spent the first formidable years with a company called Qualcomm. So much gratitude for their founder, Dr. Irvin Jacobs, because his vision was how do you connect the world? How every person in this world will have a personal phone number. And now when you reflect on that vision, it's just like, oh my God, that is such a basic vision. But if you go back to even 20 years ago where we didn't have cell phones, today's world would not have been imaginable. So for us, I would say my early journey at Qualcomm was very formidable because I saw the power of vision, but more importantly, I saw the power of responsibility. And so as I progressed in my career at Qualcomm, I was fortunate enough to be the head of innovation where we were exploring ways to sort of go beyond the mobile ecosystem. And this is where we landed on machine learning applications for robotics. Okay. And this is around the same time Dr. Fei-Fei Li had come up with ImageNet. So there was a lot of excitement around how can you use mobile as a powerful compute and connectivity platform to bring machine learning into focus. While doing that, I would say AI safety became really integral to how I was thinking about building applications. You know, we were looking at collaborative robots in manufacturing plants where these robots are working alongside humans. And so you can imagine when you have this human machine collaboration actually in a physical environment, you have to start thinking about what are the guardrails in that physical environment so that these machines and humans could work in the way that you anticipate. So I would say that, you know, about 10 years ago, the seeds of AI safety got planted in my head, which very quickly took on a whole new meaning when my daughter was born in 2014. And there were a couple of companies which were creating these digital avatars. Mm -hmm. And these digital avatars literally were neural networks mimicking humans that they were interacting with. And for me, I was, you know, at that moment, there was this aha point where As I've been thinking about AI safety, the ethical component, what's our responsibility as builders? What is our responsibility as we are building these AI agents that are going to pervasively sort of live alongside us as, you know, this world progresses? I would say that was a moment where, you know, I as an engineer sort of had to pause and reflect that it is not just about building something cool. Yeah, It's not just building something kick-ass. It's really about building something that I'm going to be proud of contributing to this world, to this society, and really making sure it's ethical. 
And from there on, I was recruited by Microsoft. Yeah. Initially focused on commercialization of some of their cognitive services, which ranged from facial recognition to large language models to NLP systems. But again, the digital safety idea sort of became more paramount. Sure. As we were building conversational agents, again, working alongside us. Well, I want to follow up on one bit because I think that just it's two images stand out from that story so far. One, the image of, yeah, needing to care that there's like a physical robot with a physical person. And clearly that being so in your face at the time versus some consumers today just using it on their computers and not interacting with a robot clearly made a difference in what you focus on. But number two that I'm thinking about now is like, When those digital avatars came by, what made you think that this was not just cool? Like what put the kind of alarm bells on about it? Because I think that could tell us maybe a little bit about where your startup came into place too. Absolutely. Uh, You know, I'm going to give a shout out to a company called Soul Machines. They have an avatar called Baby X. And the Baby X, you should go and watch. I think they're on version five now. Wow. But when the Baby X came out, they were on version one. And what really gave me a pause was the way that system was learning and the way that system was associating, the way that system was reasoning. This was around the same time my daughter was born in 2014. And so I have a real baby at home, which is reasoning and associating and learning similar to this digital avatar. I think the juxtaposition of those two realities and what they could become, because in case of my daughter, you know, the values that she's going to adopt, hopefully are the good values we as parents are trying to sort of share with her. So I think the question then for me was, oh, what is this, you know, digital avatar going to become? When is it going to start reasoning to a level that it starts to build its own ethics, that it starts to think about its own responsibility? And what does that responsibility mean for it? Because again, we are seeing in case of generative AI nowadays, you know, what does good or bad mean for these systems is something that we as humans are injecting in it based on the data that these are trained on. But now the new generative AI systems are not even trained on that data. They are literally just learning ad hoc. Yeah. So question is, what are they learning and how are they building a view of what does good look like in their head? I think that's where the responsibility becomes really critical for us as humans to think deeply about. Yeah, well, take me from this awareness that it's critical, it's important, and it's, you know, it's happening whether we like it or not. And balance that with awe, but then like bring in Credo AI and really how you started the company and why you started the company. Yeah, you know, so credo, the word credo means a set of values that guides your action. So credo AI, the intention was to create uh, mechanisms by which we can bring continuous oversight and accountability to AI systems. The motivation for starting credo was primarily threefold. The first was in this new world where it's not just the technical stakeholders, but a broader subset, the, you know, people coming from compliance, from policy, from business, the impacted consumers, how are they going to provide feedback and be engaged in this new AI ecosystem? And looking around, I could not find tools to really help solve that problem of this multi-stakeholder engagement. Yeah. The second, as you can imagine, is the lack of what good looks like. Again, talking about the guardrails, Natasha, like you were talking about for this digital avatar, there is emerging set of regulations, emerging standards, but really understanding what good looks like is really dependent on the use case and context. Sure. And there's a lack of really understanding what that good looks like. And then the third key thing was, how do you do that at scale? You know, I'm a big fan of human in the loop reviews, especially for high impact, high risk AI applications. But as you can imagine, when AI becomes so pervasive, like it already has, 
how do you bring that scalability at an economical cost for the enterprises was something that was top of mind. So Credo AI really emerged from this need of providing that continuous oversight and governance with a view for this is a techno-social problem. Yeah. It's not a technical problem. And how do we ensure that you can do this at scale? And more importantly, you can do that by knowing what good looks like and operationalizing that. It feels good. I mean, it feels good to hear that there's like a company working on, I mean, clearly not necessarily slowing down people and, and making sure that they're thinking through things, but trying to be a layer around it. And I, I'm guessing people listen to the episode are kind of like, how does this mesh with this breakneck speed that we see and associate with AI technology more broadly, especially in this moment? And is there any hope you can give us that companies are thinking about this, they're resonating with the pitch and even examples of how Credo AI has been able to step in recently? Absolutely, Natasha. You know, and as a founder, I'm always optimistic. So hope is something that I truly believe in. And my hope is, one, that organizations and individuals don't see AI governance as a hindrance. They should see this as an enabler to, one, bring in some of these new AI technologies with more confidence into their companies, into their environments. But secondly, they should also see AI governance as a differentiator, because I truly believe that the brands that are going to not only thrive but lead in this age of AI are going to be the companies that are very intentional about AI safety, are intentional about how they are governing these systems. Yeah. And so where we are as a company right now, we work across multiple enterprises, primarily global 2000s in regulated and unregulated sectors. Some of our highest performing sectors include financial services and insurance, and then high tech and government and HR tech, as you can imagine, is taking off quite extensively as well. So just to give you an example, to be a little more concrete, one of the companies we work with is a Fortune 50 financial services. They had a big focus on standardizing governance because as you can imagine, they have multiple siloed implementation of ML tools. They are building machine learning models, everything from fraud to risk scoring. And they really wanted a mechanism by which they can use governance as a competitive advantage by standardizing. Okay. So they're using Credo AI day in, day out for assessment of risk like fairness. Like if you think about fairness issues and fraud models, are people who are from Hispanic or Indian origins being flagged as fraudster even more than white people? Can they basically proactively tackle those risks? Or making sure that women don't get the short end of the stick in getting credit just because women traditionally have not managed financial accounts, right? Yeah. And we've seen examples of that with Apple Card. So, you know, this financial, it's a Fortune 50 company that is being very proactive about not only fairness issues, but also reliability of these systems. And as you can imagine, sustainability, because a lot of these new kinds of models, the, especially the foundation models, are very compute intensive. So when companies are making commitments around carbon neutral aspirations, how can we hold them accountable to it is through measurements of these AI systems. So that's an example. Happy to dive deeper into others if you're interested. No, those are great examples. And I think like to just really clarify the end product here, I can imagine a few things as you were actually specifically explaining the aspect of women being able to access credit. I was thinking like, okay, does like a red flag pop up on screen once, once Credo AI goes to the data? Is it a report? What are some of like the end products that you're building? Yeah, great point, Natasha. And we do need those red flags. <laughs> and we have those at Credo AI. So a couple of core aspects that get generated in Credo is first and foremost is governance artifacts. And these governance artifacts 
can be one, a risk dashboard for consumption by your executive stakeholders, which contains everything from risk issues that are emerging across your entire suite of AI applications within your enterprise. Yeah. Second kind of governance artifacts are audit reports or disclosure reports. Let's say you as a company have an obligation, and I'll give you an example of New York City law in just a bit, but let's say you as a company have an obligation to provide an audit against uh, certain requirements for certain AI applications. In that case, Credo AI creates those disclosure reports and audit reports. Or in some cases, you might just want your technical stakeholders to be more informed as to how these policies and regulations are impacting their AI system. In that case, Credo AI creates everything from a model card, which has description of what is in that model, what kind of data went in that model, what are the limitations of this model, all the way to an AI solution card, which is now if this model is adapted for a particular application, what is the difference between the intent versus the impact of that application? Yeah. And what are the potential risks once you've gone through compliance checks, once you've gone through your company guardrails, once you've gone through the technical assessments as well as process evaluations to understand what's happening? So just to give you a concrete example, Natasha, is New York City has come up with a law which is called Local Law Number 144. And this law is going into effect on April 15th, 2023. So okay. in less than a month away. Yeah. Where if you are an employee, in New York City and you're using automated employment decision-making tools, which are machine learning or AI-based, as well as statistical model-based, you have to provide a fairness audit and publish that on your website by April 15, 2023. So as you can imagine in that case, if you are a company, let's say an American Express, or you are MasterCard, or you are some other company operating in New York City, and you are using these third-party tools, you need to be able to provide this proof or assurance okay. that your HR systems are not discriminating. That is so helpful to hear because one, I love that you're an optimist. I think I have to end up being this role of being both the cynic and the optimist. I mean, I love tech. Obviously, I wouldn't be here if not. But I think one thing I always come back to with any company that's trying to help with regulation is like, yeah, are we just betting on the goodness of people's hearts or are we betting on them really needing to be accountable in order to function as a business? So it's good to hear an example where someone would actually, it sounds like companies would actually get in trouble or not be able to exist the same way if they're not thinking about the responsibilities that they have as an AI company. Absolutely, Natasha. And this is something that is, you know, I, I speak a lot about this, that right now in the age of AI, we are seeing the way humans work show up even more. What I mean by that is we are driven either by ambition or we are driven by fear. And right now, taking generative AI as an example, which are large language models capable of doing some very, very complex tasks with very much ease and being able to over time reason, what we are seeing is right now, sort of the world is divided because there's this so much ambition around where next can we go? We are literally in this exponential curve in terms of advancement of artificial intelligence. But there's also a lot of fear, fear of hallucinations of these systems where these systems just go off on a tangent and start to come up with things that you don't understand how they came up with that could lead to rise of misinformation, that could lead to copyright infringements, as we've already seen, that can lead to really trying to understand factual information and factual sources of information that these systems are generating. So I think what we are seeing right now in the market of Emerge is a set of companies who are driven by fear and they're taking a very cautious approach and saying, oh, we are not even going to adopt generative AI. Huh. Guess what? They're not going to be successful. And then you will have on the other end, careless companies who are like, let's just go, you know, put them on full gear and see where this generative AI takes us. But then what we are also seeing is what I like to call Emerge 
convergent of clever companies that are making sure governance keeps pace with generative AI. Yeah. And they're putting the right guardrails and sandboxes around generative AI to one, use it to its full potential, but at the same time, be very intentional about how they're going to manage its risks. Yeah, I think the third category, you know, sounds and non-controversially so a smart place to be in if you're building. And I feel like one difficulty that I have, like I'll put myself here, is like if I get pitched an AI company and they want me to write about their news like a week from now, I'm like, I don't want to take the risk of writing about this company and not being able to do the proper due diligence. So for right now, I'm going to just keep learning and then write about it when I know more. The reason I bring that up is more like, I think it's hard for people, me especially, to have a framework on how to think about companies and figure out which of those three buckets you just explained they fit into. And so do you have any frameworks are really like even like green flags and red flags. Let's say the the investors listening right now too, or the the people who are trying to understand which companies are interesting right now to be paying attention to. Yeah, great question, Natasha. And first, I do want to emphasize this is a problem space we all are learning together. Yeah. So yes, as an AI expert, certainly have an advantage, but I'm a big proponent of more partnership collaborations between private public sector as well as media so that we can make informed opinions and share our perspectives in a unfiltered way, but in a much more knowledgeable way. Uh, So, you know, I've had a lot of interactions with journalists over the past couple of months, and I am just impressed in terms of the due diligence they are doing to get to the bottom of, is this company using AI? What kind of artificial intelligence? Are they looking at the risk? What kind of risk? Is this just a blown up story or is there something real and the impact here? Yes. So honestly, I would say that I've been very excited to see the up-leveling of AI education in the journalism community and in the media community. Having said that, there's lots more work to be done, and we are doing a lot of work even with investors. When an investor is making an investment decision or a corporate arm is doing an M&A decision, is there a way that you could go through a checklist of what is this company you know, training a system on how have they done risk analysis? Who are the people who've reviewed it? Is there an oversight and audit of these systems that have been done? Mm -hmm. And so as you can imagine, and if you pull the thread a little bit more, I see a future very similar to disclosure reporting in some of the other areas like carbon. We are going to see disclosure reporting on responsible AI become a norm in the coming years and something we are actively pursuing and pushing for as well. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So you as a company, when you're reporting on your financials, you know, whether it's in your 10K or anything else, reporting on how you are responsibly building, how you're responsibly procuring, and how you're responsibly using artificial intelligence is going to become that new baseline. And I can't wait for that new baseline because that's going to make sure that responsibility becomes critical and people are not just bailing on it, but they're held accountable for it. Are there any low-hanging fruit that you know, someone looking at an interesting AI company can look for in terms of a, like, let's say like a red flag here? Like, you know, is it just silence about responsibility or is it something more specific? You know, I would say that there's a lot of checklists and I'm happy to share how we help investors actually think about it or even media think about, you know, what those checklists are. But something really basic, like one, what have you trained your AI systems on if you're using the old methodologies? And was this compliant data? Where did you procure this data from? How are you testing your systems for XYZ risk? And these risks could be anything from fairness risk to reliability and security risks. And then obviously, in terms of transparency, I'm a big proponent of what these companies are doing to be transparent around how they've procured, built, and used AI. 
So, you know, we are seeing a lot of companies start to share transparency reports and governance artifacts publicly as well as, you know, under NDA with their customers so that you can get confidence in terms of what they're doing. So a question to be asking these companies is, hey, do you have any transparency reporting on how you are using and building and procuring these AI systems? Okay, perfect. I love like kind of first steps in that way. I want to, I know we're, we're kind of almost out of time, but I wanted to obviously get your thoughts on the most recent big news in the generative AI space as we've been thinking about it. Throughout this episode, GPT-4 launched about two weeks ago when everyone's listening to this episode. Um, first thoughts, how excited are we? And and really like, what should people be be taking from that announcement from the release? You know, that's a loaded question. <laughs> I don't think we can cover in the last five minutes, Natasha. But I think just early thoughts, I've been playing with GPT-4 for a while. And I'm excited. I think in terms of basic functions, for example, if I want to write a blog post or if I want to write a social media post and I'm not a good writer, it really does provide that edge because now I have this, my own private editor who can help me with English language, which I've always struggled with. However, I think my biggest fear is right now there is a lot of chat-splaining and gaslighting in this space. And what I mean by that is we are seeing many of these companies put out these powerful systems, but also sort of washing their hands of responsibility and not being very clear about how they're going to govern, how they're going to keep themselves accountable. Writing a blog post on AI safety does not mean you're doing it safely. And I think this is what worries me a lot about this ecosystem is when we are going to hide behind words rather than show actions that this is how we are governing these systems. These are the limitations. Please do not use it for XYZ applications. And we are not seeing that right now. I would love to see some of these big players take that step and invest in those capabilities. Oh my gosh, that is such a good point. I mean, I guess like to clarify too, it's different than what you just said around transparency reports. You're asking for people to give more specific guidance on what to not use AI for and what it's not good for? Absolutely. And you know, these are things that we are seeing with gender of AIs, some of the risk I was mentioning, everything from documented hallucinations to factual references to copyright infringement, these are being spoken about. But the problem is speaking about it does not mean that you're actually taking action to minimize it. So what I would like to see, and this is where Credo AI comes in, is third-party governance becomes so critical to this ecosystem and making sure that one, we are not only keeping consumers, media, investors, policymakers aware of what these issues are, but also being very specific about the steps being taken. Because just in the past couple of weeks, I've had a lot of conversations with regulators and policymakers, and they're playing catch up. There is now what I call a policy deficit, which we were hoping to fill, but it started to increase even more with the advancements we've seen in the past six weeks. So it's time for us to bolster responsibility rather than bailing on responsibility. It's funny because it's like you were lonely until you weren't, I'm imagining, in terms of focusing on this area. And I promise I'll end on a more positive note, but I have to mention, I think a really, really smart blog post from you, which we'll link in the show notes about how, you know, the release of GPT-4 came right alongside Microsoft's ethical AI team being laid off. And I think that to me directly kind of supports the point you just made that there's there's this gap right now. And it's in some ways it's getting bigger now that, I mean, just seeing Microsoft lay off its ethics team really, you know, has so many implications for AI, as you point out. Absolutely, Natasha. And I think one of my requests to this ecosystem is there is a lot of need for education, but we need to sort of get over this AI hypocrisy. What I mean by that is it's time for us 
to honestly say what is possible, what's not possible, but at the same time, work with the ecosystem partners on filling those governance gaps that exist rather than, again, hiding behind words. So lots of work ahead of us. Yeah. And we don't feel lonely anymore on this journey because there's a lot of momentum on AI governance and assurance and excited to be leading the charge there. Yes. Uh, thank you so much for talking us through this complicated, but clearly important and, I mean, just highly relevant world. I want to jump on over to lightning round. As I promised, we'll end on a very positive note. And I just love ending this on a, just, yeah, hearing more about the people we speak to on equity. So if you're ready, I will jump right into it. Absolutely. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. So number one is what would you be doing right now if you weren't a founder? I would be investing in more female founded companies. Ooh, well, you know, some people are doing both and that is an interesting time to be doing both. I love that you're focusing on this now, but I could not agree more. <laughs> number number two is what is the worst advice that you've ever received that can be personal or professional? Manipulation is a business strategy. I I was given that advice by one of the managers I worked for and I was like, really? So that is the worst advice. I think it's really important to be authentic and bring your authentic self to work and really meeting where the people are. So I have no room for manipulation in anything we do at Credo AI. I'm very proud of that. I love that. And then finally, what is the best advice that you have ever received? Oh my God, there are so many, so many great pieces of advice, but I would say the two that land for me, one is a good idea is nothing without great execution. So that is something that we hold very dearly at Credo AI. Uh, and one of our mantras and values is intentional velocity. That is rather than moving fast and break things, how can we move fast, but with intention, because the work we are doing is so critical to this ecosystem. Well, speaking of good ideas, tell everyone where they can find you on the web and, and online. I'm sure people are going to want to look into more about you and Credo AI going forward. Absolutely. You can find us at www.credo.ai. If you're interested in seeing our platform, it's demo at credo.ai. And then if you want to follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter, it's at Navrina Singh. Very excited to hear from this ecosystem. And hopefully we can bring more governance to the AI market. Yes. Well, you found a home in equity because I know our listeners care a lot about the nuance behind the headlines, not just the headlines. So I'm excited to hear how this episode goes. Thank you again for jumping on and everyone else. We will chat on Friday. Goodbye. Equity Wednesdays are hosted by myself, TechCrunch senior reporter, Natasha Mascarenas. We're produced by Teresa Locansolo with editing by Cal Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development and Henry Pickovet manages TechCrunch audio products. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back next week. 